The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. But let's come back to Gauteng. Uh, nursing students are currently marching to the Premier's office over the challenges they've been facing with the Department of Health. Here's some of the sound of them marching to Panyaza Lesufi's office. EWN's Gloria Matsuera is there. Gloria, tell us about what's been happening and what the aim is today. Good afternoon, Jane. So the aim for today is to submit a memorandum of demand to the Premier Banyanza Lisuki. The students have been in engagement with the Department of Health, but they feel like they have not reached a consensus. And they feel like if maybe uh, the Premier intervenes, then maybe there could be some kind of solution because this has been going on for over a week and there's been an, an interdict by the Department of by the Department of Health rather. And now also there's a situation right now where the students are just standing outside the premier's office because the premier is not here, but they're vowing that they will not be moving until they're addressed by the premier. And if we're talking about numbers, I mean, how many people are affected about? you know, uh, th- this issue, and, and what is it that they'd like to see? What would be a success for them? Right now, 167 students are particularly affected by this. These are students that were doing their final year, which is completed this month. And what they want is that they're not against writing the exam in November. They're not against the board exam. But now what they're saying is that in the meantime, they would like for the department to absorb them so they can get some, some kind of income while they wait to write the exam in November. Because right now the situation is that they need to go back home, of which they say that they, they refuse to go home unless there's some kind of solution, unless there's some kind of income that they're getting. And they're willing to work for that money. They're willing to be absorbed into the system so they can work while they wait for the exam. Yes, I was going to ask you about that, the financial ramifications of this move. The financial implication of this is that around 167 students means that the department needs to put 8 million into this, and their argument is that they cannot afford that kind of money. And it will set a precedence for the rest of the students because once these students are funded, the extra instrument is given to these students then the other students who are doing their second year and their first year are going to expect that their course be extended as well, which would mean that the department would be parting ways with over 70 million rand. All right, Gloria Matsuere, let's leave it there. I'm sure we'll be tapping into you throughout the day to see if there is some sort of solution on the cards. On 702 and Cape Talk, this is the Midday Report with Mandy Wiener, brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. Specialists to enable your business growth aspirations. 
Ah, the sorry state of our health affairs in this country and the term of the Office for the Health Ombud, Professor Malikapuru Makhoba, ends on the 31st of May 2023 after serving his full term of seven years. He's the first health ombud in South Africa. He's also been rather outspoken. Let's bring in our reporter, Nokokanya Mtambo, who listened to his address. Good afternoon to you. What did he say? Good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. J- Jane, apologies. <laughs> so it certainly is a sorry state of affairs, like you've said, in the health department. And that's exactly what the uh, outgoing health uh, ombudsman has told us today. But he hasn't been apologetic about that, Jane, as he said. He's been quite outspoken throughout his seven-year term. It's not just a thing of today where he's finally ending his term. He has been very critical of the state of uh, the uh, healthcare sector across the country. But also zooming into Gauteng, calling it the problem child. Uh, this province in particular has seen uh, the bulk of the complaints from the public coming to uh, the ombudsman, uh, ombud- ombudsman's office. Uh, in total, he's investigated about 10,000 complaints across the country within those seven years. And of those 10,000, Jane, about half of those come from the uh, province of Gauteng. And he says one of the um, prevailing issues or the prevailing trends that he's noted in in that instance is that it's been an issue of governance and an issue of capacity above anything else. Um, A lot of people might remember the ombudsman having investigated some key some of the key incidents in the country, including lysocytomania, as well as uh, looking into uh, the Rahuma Musa Mother and Child Hospital, uh, Jane, and some of the incidents that we've seen there. And again, what he says is uh, the notable trend is that it's an issue at the end of the day of governance across these hospitals, across the clinics as well uh, in the country. And I have you listened to that scathing assessment that he made of the health and health departments liking it liking in it uh, to, to ESCOM, Jane. I thought I was unfortunate when I was made the chairman of ESCOM or interim chairperson of ESCOM because what you observed at ESCOM is what you see in the Gauteng Health Department. They keep on changing people all the time and they are not moving forward. In fact, I used to believe that maybe they should have a, a meeting to try and share strategies of how they can avoid having the problems they have. But uh, unfortunately, they didn't do that. But they are very. What you observe in Gauteng Health Province, a health department, and others come similar problems. No leadership, no capacity, no vision. Of course, they will blame someone else. Apartheid, I think. <laughs> And, and you really do wonder what sort of impact his findings have on the department and what it means for us uh, going forward. The Midday Report. So we've been listening to the ANC Secretary General, Fakila Mbulule. He led a media briefing this morning on the outcome of the party's National Working Committee meeting held on Monday. And uh, what is you know, pretty th- uh, few details that are quite striking. They found ANC uh, Ace Makhashule guilty of misconduct and advised that he is expelled. He's got seven days or so to contest this. But they also spoke about Putin. And Ulula was saying that any sanctions against South Africa not arresting the Russian president will be unjust. He stated that if in the legal prescript there's a possibility to get Putin to come to the BRICS summit, we don't have a problem with that. A threat of sanction by the United States of America on our stance regarding Russia 
Nobody should compel South Africa to take sides in terms of the conflict. And so any sanction against our country based on our non-aligned position will be unfair and unjust. And they will be opposed by all the freedom-loving people across the world. And uh, uh, if anything of that sort can actually happen, we'll defend our sovereignty. And that's what uh, is important. If in the legal prescript there is a possibility to get President Putin to come to the BRIC summit, we don't have a problem with regard to that because Russia is a member state, a member of uh, the BRICS uh, countries. The Midday Report. It's pretty staggering that Bruce and I started very long time ago at the same time, 25 years ago on this station. Here we are still here. So the Auditor General hasn't been holding back really what we need to hear. Next topic is interesting because it really paints a realistic picture of where we are in the country. When municipalities work, everyone thrives. We know that they are not. Sakani Maluleke has been briefing Parliament on the 2021-22 local government audit outcomes. And Maluka tells Parliament that fruitless expenditure amounted to 4.74 billion with 5.19 billion estimated financial loss incurred through non-compliance and fraud. This year we had 4.7 billion rand of fruitless and wasteful expenditure. Another key indicator would be the financial losses associated with the material irregularities that the office identified, which sits at 5.19 billion rand. And that's just on the MIs that we identified. And often we would have raised irregular expenditure as an indicator, but we know that um, there are instances where irregular expenditure does not translate into financial loss. But this, I think, gives you a sense that there is non-compliance and there are indications of fraud that lead to real financial losses that should be avoided, especially in an environment where there is growing financial pressure. Eyewitness News reporter Babalo Ndenze was listening to this. Babalo, good afternoon. I mean, quite staggering numbers, and it's nothing that we can get used to, is it? Uh, yes, indeed, um, MJ, quite staggering numbers. Um, you know, for example, unauthorized expenditure sitting at $25.47 billion, and this is about 175 um, municipalities or local councils and, um, you know, she's also um, red flagging the, the high salary bills of these councils, which, you know, um, outstrips the, the amount of money that they need to provide services. And, you know, for example, um, at $10.75 billion in, in, in some instances, the, the figure that she was, was quoted, that's in the report, as far as salary costs are concerned for, for these municipalities. So uh, a lot of, you know, um, quite startling figures and startling, you know, facts provided by this Auditor General, for example, you know, there's, there's a reduction on the number of clean audits. Mm-hmm. And the clean audit, I guess, is the best performance one can get when it comes to audits. Um, you know, um, so some have received unqualified audits, but um, the number of clean audits has also been on the decline. And they've also seen, a, at least I think on the positive side, they've seen a reduction in the number of disclaimers. Um, she also notes, which she says tells us that leaders in some provinces are heeding their call, you know, to get the right people to get these things done. She's also red flagged the issue of the use of consultants, and, you know, saying that, you know, billions are still going to the use of consultants. 
members of the committee also raising issues about this use of consultants, saying this measure needs to be discussed with National Treasury at a later stage in greater detail. Um, so there's also been a backlog in, in a number of financial statements, as uh, she says, but this has also been dealt with, as she says, you know, I mean, in, 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 a, in a positive step. She, she notes some positives, but mostly across the board chain, it's a bad state, according to Tsaitanya Malulek. Mm. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, every year um, we get to hear these shocking statistics and these municipalities know that the eyes are on them and yet it seems to just get worse. I mean, she also identified the lack of skills and how that's not helping the cleaning up process. Yes, um, you know, um, I think there was a bit of a a, a disturbance in the line just before that. I didn't quite get the last bit, Jane, but just repeat that there was some... Start playing. I didn't quite get the question. She was saying lack of skills doesn't help the yes. process. Yes, indeed, lack of skills. She says this is a major problem, a lack of financial skills. Um, there are also vacancies in the financial you know, section of municipalities, vacancies that go on for quite a lengthy, for lengthy periods, you know, CFOs and people in financial management. Um, she also says with that lack of skills or lack of capacity, um, I think even more damning, Jane, is that lack of political, political leadership. She says the political leadership is also lacking in getting the correct people in municipalities. Um, politics really is at the center, you know, of the, of the root causes of these bad audit outcomes. And she's also saying that, you know, instability in local councils that we've witnessed, I think, quite regularly in the last couple of years uh, since the local government elections is also compounding the, the problem, you know, councils can't pass, pass their budgets on time because there's instability parties, you know, don't get along or aren't agreeing on certain things. Which okay, Babalo, excuse me, cutting in. We're going to have to leave it there. The Midday Report. Let's talk about what's been happening in the Western Cape, the MEC of Police Oversight and Community Safety, the Western Cape Police Commissioner, and the Western Cape Premier have been unpacking the fourth quarter crime statistics of the province. Let's bring in Regan Allen, the Western Cape Community Safety MEC. Good afternoon to you. What do the stats look like? Jane, good afternoon to you and to all the listeners. We are deeply encouraged. When we consider that murder is increasing across our country and we are seeing in our particular province in the Western Cape a 14.1% reduction in murders, it's definitely showing that we are on the right track. But also we are so aware that we need to still remain very attentive to some of the precincts where we have seen increases, but we are definitely on the same track. And it's something that we are able to commend our law enforcement, our steps our neighborhood watches, our CPX, and all our community activists that play such a vital role towards our collaborative um, approach towards community safety. I mean, that is a staggering reduction, and well done on that. It still has the highest murder rate percentage in the world, the Western Cape. So what needs to be done to keep that number going down? What needs to be done is that we need to continue, definitely, Jane, in our approach where we are very direct and deliberate in our data-led and evidence-based deployment of our lead officers, where the Western Cape, we have stepped up and we have 1,300 of those lead officers that are working in our murder hotspots, but also, Jane, the call for, for more policing powers, the call 
for us to ultimately have those powers where we can ultimately take the responsibility and ensure that we can bring safer spaces to our areas. But also, in the current climate, I'm very keen and deliberately making sure that our oversight role over the South African Police Service is actually leading to better service delivery. We are very strategic in, in our approach, but it's definitely where we are putting 350 million rand towards the lead offices for this particular financial year, which is ongoing. I'm even now on my way to the Overstrand, where we are graduating a number of the peace offices, which we have set up in a number of our municipalities outside of the city of Cape Town, knowing that we are needing to bring safer spaces across our, our province. But it's definitely on the right track. We have a goal, Jay, that we aren't hearing from other provinces um, across our country, but it's a goal that the Premier, Alan Ringe, has actually put on the table by wanting to reduce the murder rate by 50% by 2029. We are definitely on track in that regard, but we definitely know we have a long way. Okay, let's talk about contact crime. We've seen that uh, increase across the country in the stats that we heard yesterday. We also know that sexual offences are on the rise at schools. What's the situation there? What are you going to do about that? We have already now this morning had engagements and each and every station commander will be having briefings with the relevant uh, sector police, with the relevant neighborhood watches that's accredited by our department, but also with the CPS. Because we are wanting to ensure that each and every department that plays a role towards safety is actually stepping in and stepping up as well. The Western Cape safety plan chain is that entire plan, which is whole of government, each and every department, and as in this particular role, I am the lead in terms of the safety priority by bringing all those various stakeholders together and we, we are prioritizing where the need is the highest. So okay. we've already identified um, the stations that we need to approach. Okay, Regan Allen, good to talk to you. Western Capes Community Safety MEC. The Midday Report with Mandy Winner on 702 at Cape Talk. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. See money differently. We're going to be talking about the escalation of sexual offences at schools and bring in the Department of Basic Education spokesperson, Elijah Mashlanga. Very good to have you with you, with, with us here. These numbers, they're going up. What's going wrong? Well, the reflection of what is taking place in society, it's a reflection of what the adults are doing and the kids are coping and they're doing it. I mean, if they crime rate in general that is going up and uh, those cross criminal offenses are taking place, surely the learners will also be learning from what the adults are doing. So it's a reflection of ourselves as a people. All right, Elijah, I hope you're still with us. I lost you there. Um, of the 61 rapes of pupils that were reported at schools in the first three months of the year, 43 of the crimes were committed by fellow pupils. What's going wrong there? Well, it's, it, it's an indication of what's taking place in, in the community where these children live. Um, we cannot isolate the school from uh, where it is located. So what we see happening in school is what the learners bring from home. Because uh, if a learner has been taught to respect themselves and respect others, that's what they will do. But if they don't practice that type of uh, conduct, then it's what they would have seen elsewhere, especially where they live. 
So we think that the reflection of the moral decay in the society. Mm. I've got a quote, Professor Catherine Ward here. She says that pupils are living in a perfect storm of a failed education system, experiencing numerous factors like abusive families, communities, and sometimes manipulative friendship groups. It really is the perfect, imperfect storm, isn't it? No, no, no. That's a narrow view which is extremely unfortunate, especially when it comes from someone that's that educated. Uh, because you are saying that the parents have no role to play, uh, other stakeholders have no role to play. The situation is that when learners come to school carrying drugs in their bags, carrying weapons, carrying unopened bottles of wine, coming to school, things that they take from home, how do you even begin to blame the education system? Maybe the education system at home, in the household, where the very first lesson of any type happens. You know, you and I have spoken about this for many years. Um, what what needs to be done now? Where, where do we start? No, we start at home. You know, when the sun comes up, the learners leave their houses and they carry with them in their bags whatever that they're getting from home. A school is a gathering place where people bring whatever that they have with them. The teachers bear the brunt of the different things that are gathering the from the learners. So we need to strengthen the way we raise our children as parents. They copy what we do. If we resolve resort to violence as a means of resolving issues, that's what they will do. They they do what they see. If we change our behavior as adults, then they will also change. You can't teach what you do. And what do we do about those teachers who are also behind these sexual offences? What needs to be done? We fire them. We fire them. That's what we do. You can talk to the South African Council for Educators. They will tell you what they do. They investigate, fire them, uh, and and, uh, take away the licenses from them. And they make sure that they never have to teach again. We have even revised the regulations around teacher conduct in school to make sure that they never have to teach again or set foot in school, especially if they're involved in uh, offences of a sexual nature. Mm, because as you know, as we all know, schools should be the safest place at the moment. Always good to talk to you, Department of Basic Education spokesperson Elijah Bishlanga. The Midday Report. So we've been seeing a very volatile rand and we know the, the impact that it has on us on so many levels. It hit a record low on Tuesday on the back of a strengthening dollar and souring local investor sentiment that has seen massive capital outflows from the country. When I last looked, it was up just a weeny bit. Uh, yesterday it was at trading at 19.69 against the dollar. Let's bring in Muyelane Mkabela. He's an economist to talk us through what we can expect and uh, how low it can go. Very good afternoon to you. Let's start off with that. How low can it go? Uh, we, we, we are likely to uh, finish uh, uh, this coming week uh, while the rent has breached to uh, 20 rent against the dollar. And uh, the challenges are not really uh, normally uh, global ones only, but on the local uh, challenges, we have a low economic growth, uh, which uh, is as a result of a declining industrial uh, uh, production and other sectors. And at the same time, we have a higher government debt 
uh, which as well that higher government debt is as well uh, uh, you know uh, uh, you know uh, depressed much with high unemployment unemployment so that will make us to have low revenue collection so on the other side which consists uh, or uh, connect with the uh, uh, global market we have less exports that means the rent is less demanded and then we have higher imports which means we demand the, the dollar more. So when you look at those like indications, you could say that if we planned for the economy for the past uh, probably 20 years to 30 years, some of the things uh, that we are experiencing during COVID-19, during this uh, 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 confrontational risk uh, uh, that is happening at Ukraine, uh, uh, Russia, we are not supposed to ex- experience it at the level we are uh, 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 really facing uh, like the challenge. Okay, let me ask you, when Putin arrives, because I'm, I'm sure he will, what do you think the impact will be then on the dollar, investor confidence, economy at large? Uh, when uh, when Putin arrives at uh, the conference, that is uh, an event that will be happening. Uh, I wouldn't, we wouldn't really expect from the market point of view uh, that the dollar will weaken. But like what will happen is uh, there can be commitment which in the uh, demand for uh, a, a dollar to uh, go to go down, it will really take time because a lot of activities uh, from uh, uh, a buy and sell uh, point of view, they are still done uh, pretty much on dollar. So if they probably uh, have like um, a brick currency, that will not really work immediately. It will be a project that will probably be implemented whether in 24 months or it will be implemented in 12, uh, in whatever uh, uh, time frame or gun chart that they will set for themselves. Yelani, let's, let's not... leave it there. Excuse me for interrupting you. Let's leave that question hanging. And uh, I should imagine that uh, if South Africa is able to resuscitate its reputation here, they could just tell Russia to stop bombing Ukraine. The Midday Report. Hello, I'm Jane Dutton. You're listening to The Midday Show. I'm standing in for Mandy Wiener. We've still got some good stories coming up. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can call us on 072-2567-1567 or 072-702-1702 here in Gauteng. The good news is that we don't have it yet. Avian flu. Our chickens do, just not us. Let's bring in the Director of Animal Health, the Department of Agriculture and Land Reform, Dr. Mpo Maja. A very good afternoon to you. We're hearing about an outbreak on five farms in the Western Cape. Please update us on that. Um, good afternoon and good afternoon to the listeners. Yes, we have uh, five uh, properties, five farms that are affected in the Western Cape, um, affected with avian influenza so far. All right. So what does it mean now for the industry, the impact on the industry, and when it comes to to us? Um, these farms, are, the, the five that are affected are table egg uh, layer farms. Um, so the main impact would be on the production of eggs and the supply of eggs. Um, there's, however, a whole lot more farms in the Western Cape that produce the eggs. So there shouldn't be a shortage. So the consumer shouldn't be worried about shortage and therefore price increases of eggs. But with regards to safety, 
Um, avian influenza doesn't, um, this one doesn't transmit in eggs. Um, the funds are also placed under quarantine on suspicion of infection. So once they are under quarantine, no live births and no eggs are allowed to move off the farm. So anything that is already on the shelves, everything that uh, has been slaughtered um, through the normal abattoir process with meat inspection is safe for the consumers to eat. So even the eggs that are on the shelf would not be coming from infected farms because they are placed under quarantine. Okay, Dr. Mpo Maja, very good to have you with us and updating us on the avian flu situation in South Africa. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener is brought to you by Nedbank Commercial Banking on 702 and Cape Talk. Nedbank is a licensed FSP and registered credit provider. Let's bring in Eyewitness News, Tzidi Madia. She's standing by for us. Good to have you with us, Tzidi. Let's first talk about the ANC finding Ace Mahashule guilty of misconduct. Good afternoon, Jane. I mean, it's been a really long journey towards this particular outcome. If you remember, that incident took place in 2021. I'm reflecting, funny enough, Jane, on the call Ace Mahashule made to me that night saying that he has suspended Cyril Ramaphosa as president of the ANC. He was then told to apologize to the party, which he did not. Instead, what he did was to take the party to court to challenge his suspension, to challenge um, the step-aside rule that went from the high court to the supreme court to the constitutional court which all refused to hear him in essence or gave him a hearing but refused to agree with his claim that it was unconstitutional losing out of that court battle all the while disciplinary processes against them were happening there's been a change of administration jane in the middle of all of this so it was a matter that was left unfinished if you may from the last ANC administration. So a new um, disciplinary committee came into play and they had to pretty much pick up on things that were left unattended, including Ace Mahashule's matter. There were a lot of postponements in his disciplinary committee. So they finally reached um, they finally reached a conclusion in the matter saying that they found him guilty of failing to apologize to the organization. He does have a window period, Jane. He's got seven days in which to make representations as to why he should not be expelled from the ANC. Between you and I, very quickly, I don't even see that happening. I think this is the end of the road mm. for Ace Mahashul and the ANC, no matter how you spin it. Okay. Let's go to your chat with the former president, Thabo Mbeki. You've been in Guinea discussing his vision for Africa, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, South Africa not being invited to the G7 summit and more. But before we get to uh, what he told you, I'd just be interested in your impression of how South Africa has been viewed there at the moment and our play with Russia. You know, the the issue between South Africa and Russia, Jane, is not necessarily something that's top of mind for mm. Guinean citizens. What was interesting is seeing somebody like Mbeki in there. I took a lot of walks around Conakry with uh, my colleague, Jacques Nellis, and we just walked around from time to time engaging with citizens. Mind you, there's a language barrier. They speak French. They were, they're Francophone countries. We're Anglophone countries. So there is a bit of a barrier, but people find people, you know, and you use hand gestures and you use the Mbeki, you know, so you realize what conversation you're having. And I found it interesting that there's so much familiarity and 
so much identity that they understand of who and what Mbeki is. I mean, we call Mbeki a Renaissance man for an for a reason, an Africa Renaissance character for a reason. And you find that his name catches some expression, finds expression in countries as remote and as far away. I mean, it was almost a 20-hour commute to get to Guinea. So those kind of areas, those kind of people find um they, they resonate with the name Tabumbeki. They think they understand what he's about, Pan-Africanism. So that on its own is really interesting. But in terms of the Russia situation, I think Mbeki himself at the strong views, Jane, where he spoke about the relationship, um the, the posture rather that South Africa ought to have as far as conflict is concerned in the African position, saying that the African Union, for instance, Jane, deals with a lot of conflict on the continent. It can never come out and say you are wrong or you are right before going to a negotiation table, saying that you must hold your neutral posture at all times, including this Russia-Ukraine conflict, saying that the minute you start taking sides publicly, you make it difficult to go to a negotiation table and people and stop people um, from using guns. Says you ought to get people to stop firing guns. And the, to do that, you go to the negotiation table there you say you are wrong and you are right you don't do it before you start dealing with the issue and he said that south africa must hold the line and not give into any threats or any um pressure to move in its position and he said aau approaches issues like the sudan like what's even happening in guinea mind you with a similar with a similar um posture okay and we can find out more on your podcast politicking but let's listen to what he said it says that we have a serious problem of the deterioration in the quality of governance. That deterioration has been with us now for a number of years. This cholera outbreak in Amanstral is an illustration of that. There are many, many other illustrations of that. You can't have people coming to chop down pylons, carrying electricity cables to go and sell. The story is to go and sell the metal doesn't make sense. But I'm saying in the end, all of this re- reflects a very, very serious problem of the t- t- deterioration in the quality of governance, uh, which has got many reasons, but it's something that urgently, urgently needs attention. Do we have the will, the capability of actually attending to the many challenges that we are confronted by as a country? There are many, many South Africans who are very ready to contribute whatever they can to address the challenges. Uh, we need to generate enough pressure on the people who sit in poli- positions of political responsibility to attend to this matter. Its negative uh, outcomes is very, very visible. But it may very well be that whoever is in government requires this pressure from below when the masses of the people rebel against a system of government that's not working in their interest. I wonder when we'll get to the point where we rebel. And if you want to find out more about that, listen to her podcast, Politricking. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.